Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Rocky Kim. All right, 12 o'clock. Good afternoon. How you guys doing? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, this Sunday is a special Sunday. Not because I'm teaching. Maybe some of you are thinking that, and that's great. Um, actually, some of you are probably here thinking, Where's Ken or Larry, right? This weekend, you get the third string, and that's me, all right? Third string. That's a compliment, okay? Because Ken and Larry are great teachers, and I'm happy to be third string. That's that's great. I like my place on the bench. Um, (laughs) No, uh, this weekend is special because this is the last Sunday of 2015. Uh, It really marks the end of kind of this year, and as we go into next week, we will be in 2016. It is uh, great. The new year brings uh, motivation and enthusiasm to change, right? We, we, we make New Year's resolutions. We, we try to take the next step in, in pursuing wholeness or making our lives better or being more healthy. And, and of course, we make those resolutions uh, very optimistically, right, on December 31st and January 7th comes, and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> For me, it's like January 2nd. I'm like, oh, this is horrible. I'm never doing this again. Um, some of you are here maybe considering making faith resolutions, uh, trying to figure out what that next step is for you in your faith, uh, what it is that you need to do to deepen your relationship uh, with God. And Though those things are good, I have on a number of occasions uh, made resolutions to, you know, read my Bible more, to pray more, to be more generous, and to partner with different uh, organizations that are doing good around the world, and um, that's all well and good. But today, I want to take a a little bit of a different um, angle on resolutions. Uh, Rather than focusing on what we should do, I want to focus on who we are, who you are. And I simply want to answer this question, who am I? Because at this time of year, we're focusing on things we need to do. We want to take action. We want to be proactive. Yet, I think we may put the horse before the cart, or the cart before the horse. I messed that one up. Man, it's 12 o'clock. I think we... We, we move in a direction that we think is good for us, yet we forget the initial steps. And I think this question of who am I informs what we do and how we do it. And so we're going to look at uh, a story in Scripture. Um, it's an encounter between Jesus and uh, a teacher of the law. And it's found in Mark chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 28. It says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? All right, let me set the scene for you. This teacher of the law, simply a pastor, hears Jesus talking, debating, and discussing, and is impressed with what Jesus is saying. And... So decides to ask him this question, what is the most important commandment? 
And know that during this time, this was a legitimate question. Uh, the Jewish people had uh, roughly 613 commandments they had to follow that they found in Scripture. So as you can imagine, this was probably a question that you would get a lot as a pastor. And so he's just trying to figure this out. He's trying to figure out what is the most important commandment. If we bring this kind of interaction into our day today, um, it would be a lot like asking the question, what should I do? Right? And I think that's a question we all ask as Christians, as uh, followers of Jesus. We, we want to know what should we do as a Christian? Uh, who should I date or marry? What school should I apply to? What school should I go to? Uh, what career should I choose? The list goes on about what we should do. What should I do to be a better follower of Jesus? That, I think, is central to who we are as God's people. We want to please God, and we want to do what God has for us, yet we don't know. So we ask this question, what should I do? And Jesus answers the question, verse 29. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus answers the question, what should I do? What is the greatest commandment? With a prayer. This uh, answer that Jesus gives is actually a prayer called the Shema. And Shema simply uh, means in Hebrew, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. It's the first word of the verse, Shema. And the Shema is very important to the Jewish people. It's important because it was a prayer that was prayed up to five times a day by people. Uh, children were taught this prayer um, to, uh, to say before they went to sleep, so it was on the tip of their tongue um, as they went to sleep. Um, even today, Orthodox Jews still practice saying this prayer multiple times a day. So this prayer is important. Everyone knew it. It was common knowledge. This teacher of the law probably had prayed this prayer multiple times before encountering Jesus that day. And as you all know, when you do something over and over again, no matter how significant or important it is, it can become repetitive and mundane, right? It can lose its meaning uh, because you're doing it over and over again. And I think it's safe to say that for the Jewish people, the Shema became mundane, became repetitive, and they may have missed the meaning of this prayer, right? It's, it's a commandment, though people probably at that time didn't view it as a commandment. It was just the prayer that they said. So I, I want you to see, for, for Jesus to say this, it's a bit absurd. This teacher, this pastor, asks this very important question, and the teacher of the law just responds with this common prayer that everyone knew. I mean, to give you an example um, what it's like, imagine Jesus walks, and he walked into this room, 
And we all looked and like, oh, dude, it's Jesus. And everyone looks and like, crazy. And then I would say, Jesus. Okay, I have an important question for you. What should I do as a pastor, as a follower of you? What should I do? What is the most important thing for me to do? And he clears his throat and he goes, <clears throat> and he goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little. I'm sure many of you know this song. It's a song that if you went to Sunday school, you sang, you grew up with it if you grew up in the church. Um, And it's actually a very significant song, and there's some powerful words in there. Though we sing it so often, or we have sung it so often, that we just sing it. It's just a song. It's a kid's song. We don't think about the words. And and that's essentially what is happening with Jesus answering with the Shema. He's answering a question of what this teacher of the law should do with who the teacher of the law is. Rather than focusing on what this person should do, what we should do, Jesus focuses on who we are. Who am I? Which leads me to my first point. Who am I? I am one with God. By reciting the Shema, Jesus focuses on a very core tenet of the Jewish religion. Uh, Shema Israel Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Echad, one. And one is a statement typically understood as monotheism. And that just simply means the Jewish people believe in one God. And, and that's, that's profound during this time because the majority of people at that time believed in many gods. It was polytheistic, many gods, many different things and deities to worship, but the Jewish people committed to one God, the one God. But that statement of oneness isn't only referring to monotheism. It's also referring to a story found back in Genesis when the man and the woman are said to be one, are called to be one. For the Shema to say that God is one, it is saying that God is in solidarity with humanity. It is a statement saying that God is with us. We just celebrated Jesus coming into this world, the Son of God being born, a human being, to be with us. And not only to be with us, but to experience our plight, to, to understand our brokenness. He is with us. And, and here, to, to put it into perspective for you, here's how drastic and how crazy that statement is. Okay, the Son of God is the creator of all things, all-powerful. And the Son of God chooses to become a human being, born a little baby boy. This baby, Jesus, would have died without the care of his parents. You're like, wait, but Jesus is God. Yeah, you're right but he also was human. 100% God, 100% human. Jesus was limited by his humanity. 
Though he was a creator, he also had this weird tension within him that he was limited by his humanity. So without his parents, he would have died. And he chose that route. That is the route of oneness. That's what the Son of God was willing to do for us, to be with us. And that oneness is a statement of how much God loves us. We are loved by God. And guys, that is the first step. I know we're all here and we all think of maybe taking steps toward God, and that's great. But God is already next to you. God is here. God is within you. God has pursued you since the day of your birth. And steps of faith are great for us to kind of visualize, but know that God is already with you. He showed that through his birth and his death and his resurrection. So we are loved by God, and that is the first step. Oneness with God, being loved by God. And then the Shema goes on and talks about this next step. Who am I? I'm in love with God. As I said earlier, Jesus recites the Shema, this prayer. And it's actually taken from the Old Testament. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Okay, some of you are very observant. And you notice that this differs slightly from what Jesus says. What's missing? Anyone? Anyone? You're right. That, sorry, you're right. Dang it. <laughs> There's something else I'm looking for. <laughs> Mind. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And this just says heart, soul, and strength. What's the deal, right? Is Jesus a bad Hebrew student? <laughs> just doesn't know his Shema? <laughs> it's, like, it's almost heretical to say of the Son of God, but it's, it was a joke. You can laugh about it. It's okay. Uh, a lot of times we can read over this stuff and think, oh, well, maybe there's a reason. There actually is a reason. And I'm going to give you an explanation, but it's going to require me to give you a brief linguistics lesson. And for those of you who just immediately checked out when I said linguistics, just, just stick with me. It's kind of interesting. And if it's not, sorry. <laughs> All right. So um, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, and the entire Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Jewish people spoke Hebrew and communicated with that language. In the third century BCE, there was this process or this phenomenon, cultural phenomenon called Hellenization happening. The Greek empire was expanding and Greek culture was expanding. So the Jewish people decided to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And so for those of you who are multilingual, 
those of you who are, have experience with linguistics, you know that when you translate something from one language to the next, it's nearly impossible to get the full nuance of what is being said in the original language. You can do a very good job of translating the statement and getting the overall gist, but to get the, the complete nuance is, is almost impossible. And so know that the Hebrew scriptures are, are, are written in Hebrew, and then there was this process of translating into Greek. And then in the New Testament, the New Testament is all written in Greek, but they spoke another language called Aramaic. And so there's this whole like swath of languages going on, and um, it, it's, it's very easy to miss some nuances. And so we need to go into the original language. So uh, the word heart... Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, comes from the Hebrew word levav. Say levav. Okay, levav literally translates to the heart, but it also literally translates to the mind. And you may think that sounds weird, right? That's absurd. Because the heart deals with emotions and feelings, and the mind deals with thinking cognitive processes, and intellect, they are separate. Not for the Jewish people. For the, the, for the Hebrew people, they believed they were one and the same thing. So when you said heart, they were thinking the mind and the heart. And when they, say, when they said the mind, they were thinking the heart and the mind. They're one and the same. Hence the reason why you have Jesus saying mind in Greek, in the New Testament, and not in the Old for the Jewish people, the heart and the mind, your, your intellect and thoughts, were the same as your feelings and emotions. There was this holistic view of who you are, not only your heart, but also your mind. The word soul, love the Lord your God with all your soul, comes from the Hebrew word uh, nefesh. Say nefesh. Nefesh literally translates from Hebrew to English as self. Simply, self. So love the Lord your God with all your self, your self. And I think when we hear self, we think of more of the physical reality, right? We think of our physical lives, our physical body, our physical selves. And when we hear soul, we think, oh, our spiritual reality. In the Hebrew language, they actually don't have the word spiritual. You're like, that's weird, right? They're religious people, and they don't have the word spiritual. The reason being is because if you have the word spiritual, you can name certain things spiritual and other things not. For the Hebrew people, everything is spiritual. There's no reason to call something spiritual because everything is. So we read soul, but it's actually talking about your entire selves because everything is spiritual. Coming to church, praying, reading your Bible, helping the poor, that stuff, of course, is spiritual. But so is being stuck in traffic and maybe murmuring some bad words <laughs> under your breath. I, that's spiritual. Washing your dishes at home, that is spiritual. Reading a story to your children, that is spiritual. Going to school and learning, that is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. When it says to love your God with your soul, with your nefesh, with yourself, it is your entire self, your being. Which leads me to 
Strength. Loving God with your strength. We get strength from the Hebrew word me'od. Say me'od. This is, I love this one. Me'od is a great word in Hebrew. It's beautiful. It looks beautiful. And it literally translates to very. Love the Lord your God with all of your veryness. <laughs> That's what it says. That's what it literally translates to. And in English, we just don't have a word for this veryness. So we've used strength. And strength is a good translation. There's nothing wrong with that. Except, it can imply that we only are to love God with strength. So if we have physical strength, if we have emotional strength, then we can love God. But then if you don't have physical strength or emotional strength, then you can't love God. I think you can, that, you can get that reading from that verse. And that's not what it's saying. Your veriness isn't just being strong. It's not referring to that. It's referring to your essence, to your being, to who you are, your identity. That is what it's saying. You love God, not with this strength that you have because you are a follower of Jesus. No, we are broken people who face incredible, dif- incredibly difficult trials. And nonetheless, we are still called to love God in the midst of that. We are to love God with our meod, our veriness, our essence, our being. And so as we look at the original language and these, uh, these three words, our heart and mind, our soul and self, and our strength and veriness, know that this is pointing to something that I think we're missing. As we read these verses, as we say the Shema, I'm sure the majority of you in this room know this verse, know these words, yet have missed it a bit. Not because of the the language differences, but because we just say it over and over again. Just like this teacher of the law who probably said this prayer before interacting with Jesus, and Jesus says, the answer to your question is actually something you said earlier, something you've been doing all along. The answer to your question of what I should do is actually found in who you are or who you should be. When you think about 2016 and moving into this reality, I don't want to immediately jump to the idea of doing something, coming up with resolutions. I think it's about focusing on who we are and who we are called to be and how in the midst of our oneness and being loved by God and being in love with God with our entire existence, then we just exist. We don't do, we exist. Because that is who we are. Not because of something that we do. It is who we are. But that, of course, leads us to the last part of what Jesus says, right? He says, love your neighbor as yourself, which answers the question, who am I? I am God's love in this world, right? There comes a point when your identity and your 
understanding of God being with you and being loved by God and um, loving God with your entire being and existence, that you extend out that love. Jesus' physical body is not on earth because we are his physical body. The church is Christ's body. So we are supposed to be his hands and his feet, his actions in this world. And that is why we are called to love this world, because we are his body. And so as you begin to look at 2016 and, and, and considering making resolutions or faith resolutions, I know at this point you're thinking, okay, give me the do's. Give me what I should do. Okay, and I'm going to avoid doing that. I'm not going to give you three to-dos and like, yeah, then your 2016 will be great. Because I think it's going to undermine pretty much everything I just said. Not saying that you don't do stuff. I'm just not going to focus on the doing because I think the doing comes when you just be and exist the way that God has created you to be when you understand you are loved by God and you, you love God with your entire being, your entire self, your essence, then the doing just kind of happens. And the beauty of that is I think God is actually already moving in our midst. He's moving in the midst of the people that you're interacting with. He's moving in the situations that you would not think second about, not think a second about just overlook because you're like, yeah, that's insignificant. But I believe God is moving in those situations. And, and to illustrate my point, I actually have a video that I think um, shows this kind of covert God that's moving and how we are missing him. So check this out.
For those of you who don't know who that is, um, her name is Lindsay Sterling. She's um, a world-renowned violinist and dancer. She actually got popular on YouTube. And uh, in 2015, she was one of the highest-grossing YouTube artists in the world. I mean, that's saying a lot. Um, she sells out stadiums worldwide. People pay hundreds of dollars to see her in concert. And she decided to go to a New York subway stop and give a free concert. And no one stopped. And, and it's, this isn't to trivialize like our daily lives. I know we're busy. We have work, school, all sorts of other responsibilities, family and other things. We can get caught up in the rat race, though. It's very easy to overlook how God is moving in our midst. How there's people being placed in front of you that you are called to uh, love and interact with. And when it says to love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't mean you love someone how you think they need to be loved. It means you love them how you want to be loved. So the intimacy, connection, love, and friendship that you desire, you are called to extend. And so as you begin to reflect on this essence of being loved by God and to live in the midst of this connection with God, rather than focusing on doing, just be, just live your life and pay attention to the song that's playing right in front of you. Pay attention to how God is moving in the midst of your friends and coworkers around you. Interact, love, Cherish, use moments to serve and love those who you interact with. Your identity is in being one with God, being loved by God, knowing full well that we are called to love God with our entire being in essence, and then just exist. And I believe that when you do that, you will begin to love those around you. You'll begin to see how God is moving with those people around you. And you'll begin doing stuff. I hope that you begin to see and sense how God is already moving within you so that you can move forward and just be and exist and be his love in this world. Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, some of you here maybe just... Uh, checking out this Jesus thing for the first time and hearing about Jesus. And uh, you may sense and feel something. You may sense God's presence within you moving and calling you toward him. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to start this journey with God. And all it requires from you is an acknowledgement, something saying that you... Realize you are loved by him. And so if that's you, I would love to support you and pray for you. And if you would just let me know by raising your hand and looking up at me um, so I can do that, I'd be happy to do that. I see you there. I see you back there. There may be others um, in here who know Jesus, who know the Shema inside and out, who have lived it out, yet 
you're in a season where you've forgotten. You may have turned your, turned your back on God and what God has for you. It's that If that's you, I would love to lift you up in prayer as well and to support you so that you can turn back toward God and realize that you are intimately loved by him. If that's you, um, I invite you to raise your hand and look up at me so I can pray for you as well. I see you. I see you back there. I see you. God, you are incredibly generous for loving us uh, despite our brokenness. For those people who uh, raise their hand and who want to uh, begin this life with you, I pray that you uh, would be with them, that they would be able to recognize their brokenness and their need for you and you making them whole. God, thank you for the love you extend to them freely. Uh, They have to do nothing. We have to do nothing to receive that love. Thank you for that free offer of grace. And God, for those uh, people who who are coming back to you, who may have uh, in a past season uh, turned their back or have forgotten what you have called them to, I pray that you would um, give them the strength and the courage to move forward. to break off those chains and to move forward in a life with you. God, we thank you for being a God who loves us, who is one with us, who pursues us despite um, our running away from you. I pray that we uh, would be people who listen and respond and who exist as your people. God, thank you for being the God of love. And we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.